0: If you have your Bibles today, I'd like you, if you would, to turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And last week, uh, I started a message that It became very, very clear from the get-go. I could not finish it. I was going to need to split this into two parts. And, uh, of course, the outline made it easy to do that because really we were talking about two kings uh, and essentially contrasting two kings, what was different about these two. And yet, while we were looking at what was different, we... uh, We're going to look, and we looked at the first king, and we noticed about him that he had a destiny. We noticed about him that he committed some kind of iniquity or sin, and we also noticed that he left a legacy, Uh, and the title of the message is, What Are You Known For? What are you known for? If it could be said about your life, you are this person. And throughout the body of their life, your entire life, maybe even up to this point, maybe you haven't lived very long, but maybe you are finding you're, you're in the 30s or in the 40s. And if they were to sort of typify who you are, what would it be that would describe you? There was, and I'll just to give you a little bit of background about for some of you who may not have been here last week what it was that we talked about. We talked about a king by the name of Jeroboam, somebody that we don't really talk about a great deal because he's not a good example for anything. In fact, if and, and the reason I wanted to talk about him was to help us to understand how important it is for us to keep our hearts right with the Lord as opposed to following Jeroboam's way. The amazing thing about that man and that king is, is that his destiny was one that God had planned for him. God had planned something great for this man, Jeroboam. We read about it. I'm not going to take the time to read the entire passage out of uh, the book of 1 Kings in chapter 11, where it was that Jeroboam rebelled against Solomon This was all part of God's plan, but then a prophet, an old prophet of God came along and and he tore his cloak into 12 pieces and he gave 10 pieces of this new cloak to Jeroboam and said, God has divided the kingdom from the house of David because of the sin of Solomon and all that Solomon has done, and he said, if you will walk in the ways of David, Solomon's father, the the way that Solomon should have been walking in. He said, if you would walk in his ways, if you would follow after God in that way, then I'm going to give you a kingdom just like I gave to David. And yet, the rest of the story of Jeroboam's life is that Jeroboam did not regard the word of the Lord that came to him and the destiny that God had planned out for him, the plan and the purpose of God. He decided that he would make up his own way. He'd even make up his own religion as time went on. He would do his own thing. And he would do it out of fear, out out of worry. He would do it because he had an elevated view of himself and pride began to enter in. And brothers and sisters, this is where the warning of Jeroboam is so great for us. That we have to be very, very careful about what it is that we allow to control our hearts. Jeroboam allowed fear to control his his life as a king and as a result of that he created his own religious worship. He created and, and led the people into idolatry causing them to commit great sins before the Lord. When you allow fear to rule your life the word of God will become, as it were, almost something that you, you just sort of say, It can't possibly be true that this is all gonna happen, that God is going to take care of me, that God is never gonna leave me or forsake me. It's not, it can't be true. And all of a sudden, you begin to make it up as you go along. Say, so I go to church, no big deal. But you know, that is Jeroboam, and that was his life, that was how it was that he approached his life, and we took great warning from that. But this certainly was not the note I wanted to end on last week, but I want to end on a better note today, because there is another great king of Israel. Somebody that we're going to look at today, whom the Bible talks about, and even in the New Testament, where Jeroboam isn't isn't even remembered or talked about, David is talked about into the New Testament. In fact, when Paul was delivering one of his sermons in Acts chapter 13, the Bible says that God chose David. Paul said to the people that he was talking to that God chose David to be king over Israel, a man after God's own heart. Now, the question is, what are you known for? Because whenever we think about David, we think about a number of things we think about David as being a man after God's own heart. That's the one phrase or the one statement that we often pull out of Scripture to describe David, this great king of Israel, this man of God. He was, in fact, a man who was after God's own heart. That is, he went after God with everything that was within him. The first thing I want you to see about David as compared to or in contrast to Jeroboam, it is this, that David also had a destiny. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 11 through 13. And here his destiny is God is going to give him a kingdom. God had something great in store for this shepherd boy who was out on the hillside tending his sheep Singing, worshiping God, certainly out there, but he was nothing more than a shepherd boy. The Bible says this, he, that is Samuel the prophet, asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Uh, Jesse had had brought his oldest sons to stand in front of Samuel. God had told Samuel to go and anoint uh, a king out of the house of Jesse, but he didn't tell him which one, which son. Goes on and Jesse pulls out every single son, except for David. Forgets about David or ignores David. We don't really know what the, what the deal was there, why he left David out on the, the hillside, but he left him there. Goes down the line. Samuel goes down the line. God says, no, not that guy. Nope, not him. First guy, you know, Samuel says, surely it's him. No, this is where we learn the great lesson. God looks on, uh, not on the outward appearance, but on the heart. And the Bible says this, these all the sons you have, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, arise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah, which was his hometown. The Bible lets us know here that God had a destiny for David. Same way that God had a destiny for Jeroboam. Now, David lived first. But we talked about Jeroboam first to see that the dark side of how it is that somebody can take their destiny and they can mess with it. You can take the plan and the purpose of God and you have a choice of what it is that you're going to do with it. You can either choose to follow with the way that God wants you to walk, or you can decide that, you you know what, you're going to improve on God's plan because God's plan maybe does not include this, 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 and this. And certainly God's plan didn't account for certain elements that all of a sudden have now come up. So you finagle with it and finesse it, and you work it until somehow it no longer looks like the plan of God. And that's what Jeroboam did. But here we see David. Now, I want you to see this and understand this. David, God was promising a kingdom to. In fact, he said, you're going to be the king of all of Israel. You're going to rule over this land. Well, at that moment, they already had a king. His name was Saul. So how was God going to work that out? Now, you've you got to imagine that as David walked back to the, the fields to tend his sheep, which is exactly what he did, he didn't all of a sudden say, Now come on, brothers, you gather around me. I'm gonna give you this position, you that position, and you this position. He didn't do that. He went back to tending sheep. But the Bible says that, that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him in a great in great power from that day forward. And that's exactly what, what we see. And oftentimes we associate great power with, with what people do. And and the great miracles that they might be able to perform. But in David's life, I want you to understand this. We don't have time to read all the scriptures about it. But I want you to understand that the great power of God and the Spirit of God was upon David in such a way that when it came time for David, and David was on the run most of his later in later years, he was on the run from King Saul, or in King Saul's later years, I should say. He was on the run. Saul wanted to get rid of him. You know, David killed Goliath. Everybody's out there having a parade. Saul is slain his thousands. David is tens of thousands. And Saul's sitting there, wait a minute. I can add, thousands not as great as 10,000. Wait a minute. They like David more than me. This is a problem to me. And then, you know, he gets really upset because David's going out and he's having all kinds of success and warfare against the Philistines, against the Ammonites, against all kinds of theites that are out there. And, And everybody is looking at David saying, David, you're the man. Saul's saying, I don't think so. I'm still the king. Nobody likes me. You can see this guy pouting in his, you know, king's chambers. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I think I'll go eat worms. He's upset. And so what does he do? He tries to kill David. Now, David is on the run, and there were several occasions, a few occasions, where David could have taken matters into his own hands. Because the kingdom wasn't coming yet. Remember, David was just a young boy. Some people think that maybe he was somewhere in the vicinity between 16 years old and 20 years old. Not really sure when he was anointed to be king over Israel. And on one occasion, when he was on the run from Saul, David was in the back part of a cave with his men, and and Saul comes into the cave. Doesn't know David's there. David knows Saul is there. And his men are whispering to him, David, this is your opportunity. Just take Saul out. You'll have the kingdom. Come on. This is the perfect opportunity. Hasn't God delivered him into your hands? And you know what David does? David goes up and cuts off a piece of his robe. And then he goes away. He says, no, I can't do it. I can't touch the Lord's anointed. He never once took the plan and the purpose of God into his own hands when it didn't seem like the kingdom was coming to him as it should. He never once began to change things, began to finesse it and finagle what it was that God had promised to him so that it would happen sooner. In fact, the Bible lets us know on that one occasion, when he cut his robe. the Bible says afterwards, David felt guilty for taking a piece of the robe of Saul. He said, what did I do? And he goes out there and he shows Saul as Saul is in the distance. He says, look, I could have taken your life, but I didn't. On another occasion, the same thing began to happen and it began to unfold where David once again could have just taken Saul's life and he chose not to. He chose to leave it in the hands of God. Listen, when God has something planned for you, don't think for a minute that somehow you gotta make it work in your way, that you've got to somehow begin to, you know, work the thing and, and make it happen. No, listen, if God is in it, God's gonna make it happen. If God's got a destiny for you, and I believe that He does, He's got a plan and a purpose. His plans and His purposes will be fulfilled. You don't have to walk in fear, you walk in faith. Though it doesn't happen immediately, God will bring Bring about that destiny in your life. You don't ever have to believe that somewhere along the way you got to fix it all because God somehow has forgotten about you. God didn't forget about David. He said, I'm going to give you a kingdom. A little bit later on, turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now it really gets interesting for David's destiny because we're talking about a physical kingdom that David would have. Now God is going to just, He's just going to take it to a whole new place. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, and then verse 16. Verses 8 and 9, and then down at verse 16. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from following the flock, to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of earth. And boy, didn't that get fulfilled. We're still talking about him a few thousand years later. Verse 16, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now that was a promise that God made to David that you not only would have a kingdom, but you're going to have an enduring kingdom. You're going to have something that's going to live after you, something that is going to happen where it's going to be something that will last and be established forever. Can I just jump ahead a little bit on all of this? This lived way past Solomon, way past his son, way past his son, all the way through the kings of Israel, all the way up until they were carried off into Babylon. This lived all the way through to the time of Christ. Because the Bible lets us know that Jesus comes from the house of Judah, the same house as David. And the Bible tells us that Jesus will rule on the throne of David forever and ever and ever. When when Jesus came out of the tomb, it lets us know that that word has come to fruition. It has been fulfilled that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords from the house of David. When God says, I'm going to give you an enduring kingdom, guess what he's going to do? He's going to give you an enduring kingdom enduring kingdom when God says He's going to work in your life. He's going to do something in your life. And I want to make it general today because I don't know your specific situations. But when He says He's going to do something in your heart and in your life, you need to say, Lord, I'm going to trust in You. I'm going to believe in You because the Word of the Lord is true and it will stand forever. Listen, the Word of God will outlive you. The Word of God outlived David. And the Word of God, brothers and sisters, is is what came to pass. God says, I've got a destiny. You better believe that he's got a plan for your life. And for David, it was not just his kingdom, his physical kingdom, earthly kingdom. But for David now, there is a, there is a king sitting on the throne of David, not in Jerusalem, But in the heavenlies, he sits at the right hand of the Father. He is ascended into heaven. He rose again on the third day. And because he is alive and well, brothers and sisters, I need you to know that God has, in fact, established the throne of David forever in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, the Bible says, ever lives to make intercession for the saints. Now, we got to get to the ugly part for a minute. David's iniquity. Much like Jeroboam, he had some kind of sin he had to deal with. There was something going on in his life. Turn over to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, and this is the famous passage, familiar passage of Scripture that records David's sin, his great sin of adultery and murder. The Bible says this, starting at verse 1. It says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem twice the writer of 2 Samuel says it was a time where kings went to war and then David remained. It was a time where David sent somebody and then David remained. And yet it was, in fact, the time where David should not have remained. In verse 1, we understand this. David should have been with them. So while he's at home doing nothing, One evening, David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof from the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite, the wife of somebody else? We know the rest of the story. David sent his messengers out to get her, bring her to the palace. The Bible says that he commits adultery with her then finds out that she is going to have a baby. His baby. Not Uriah's baby, his baby. And now David has a dilemma. He is is in a serious, serious predicament. He has not only violated the law of Moses, which lets us know that adultery was a sin, and in fact a sin that was punishable by death. David's sin was a sin that should have been visited upon him in the judgment of God or by the judgment of God in such a way that would bring about death. So David realizes he's really caught in a trap here and he's got to do something quick to fix it. And so he sends for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to come and to stay at home. And he says, look, you've you got to take some time off, Uriah. I've heard you've been fighting so hard. Why don't you go home and be with your wife? David goes into the palace. He doesn't realize what Uriah has done, but Uriah has camped out on the doorstep of the palace, refuses to go home. David wakes up in the morning and realizes, this guy never went home. I've got a, a serious problem here. He says, oh, come on. You know, why, do, why don't you just go home? And, and the Bible lets us know that he even, he even gets him drunk. This is the, the low that, that David is going to at this point to cover up his, his sin. Surely, he's, he's going to want to go home now. He stays outside. He says, how can I go home and enjoy the comforts of home when my fellow soldiers are out in the fields, sleeping in the fields, and they're out there and they're fighting, and their lives are in danger. I cannot do that. He was a man of honor. And he stays there, and finally David sends a message with Uriah, knowing that Uriah will never open the letter. He seals it. He knows this is such a man of honor. He's not going to open the letter, which basically says, put Uriah right at the beginning in the thick of the battle, and then I want everybody to draw back. Everybody pull back. Leave Uriah standing there all alone to face the enemy. And David commits murder. Two things that are so devastating in David's life. When you read it, it almost you you just sit there and say, this can't be David. This can't be the guy who was so honorable that when he cut Saul's robe and Saul didn't know about it and took a piece of it, he was smitten in his heart about it. He felt guilty. That he wouldn't even put his hand out to touch Saul's life, to take the kingdom from Saul. He wouldn't do anything to do do all of that. Instead, now David, the, the, the sin has come into his life. He's allowed the enemy an open door in his heart to the point where now he will do anything. He will stop at nothing to just cover it up. Brothers and sisters, the only covering... That there is for sin, brothers and sisters, is the blood of Jesus Christ. Your covering doesn't work. God sees it. God knows what's going on. The only covering that can come into anybody's life is the covering that comes through repentance of sin. Then it leads to other things. It leads to heartbreak. Now Uriah has been killed. Bathsheba becomes his husband. And they have a baby. And that baby gets deathly ill. The Bible says that David begins to pray and fast and pray for the child to live. And the child dies. The Bible says that he, he gets up, washes himself, and he goes and he eats. But then in chapter 12, it tells us about his confrontation with the prophet Nathan. Nathan come and, comes and tells him a story about a, a, little, a, a, a little family that has a, one little lamb, treated it like it's like a like such like a pet that they you know they wanted nothing to happen to this little lamb, and then a neighbor comes who had much had so many sheep couldn't count them, because a, a a friend had come into town and says, "Listen, give me your little lamb. It's perfect. I, I gotta feed this this friend." Took the one thing that family owned. And David, David heard this story. He got so incensed. He said, no. He said, you know what? You've got to send this, this man to me, and I'm going to do to him. We're going to take care of him. That's, that's injustice. Nathan looks at him and says, you're that man, David. You have taken from somebody something that you shouldn't have taken. And David realized in that moment, you know what? You can't hide from God. You can't hide anything from God. And this is where at at this, all of a sudden now, we read in Psalm 51. We're not going to take the time to read it. We read in Psalm 51 how David deals with his sin, which is completely different than how Jeroboam dealt with his sin. There were prophets who came to Jeroboam and said, You're wrong. You need to turn from your wicked ways. And Jeroboam only went and did more wickedness, invented more ways to become wicked and evil. But David, the Bible lets us know, repented of his sin. That's where we read Psalm 51 is his prayer of repentance after he had had committed these terrible crimes and these terrible sins. He repented and God had mercy on him. You see, the law of Moses indicated that David should have been killed for what it was that he did. But this is where we see mercy coming through. Even in the Old Testament, we talk about mercy in the New Testament like it's only a New Testament thing. No, it's not. It's, it's there in the Old Testament as well. David got to live and he got to honor God. And that is where we find that so often we We are like David in that way. That David was a man after God's own heart. And yet he gave into sin. From time to time you and I find that in the midst of the plan of God and the destiny of God. We get sidetracked by all kinds of junk. All kinds of things. All kinds of sin. And we allow ourselves and we allow the enemy an open door into our lives. And give into the pleasure of sin. And give into the pressure of sin. And yet in all of that i got to let you know that the story of David is one of restoration the story of David is that God has a plan and there is nothing that will ever thwart the plan of God in your life you come to him in repentance and God's gonna pick up right where he left off and he's gonna bring you along don't ever let the enemy come along and say but you remember what you did last year you remember what it was that you did in your life you remember all the bad things that you've done no the Bible says there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters, when the blood of Jesus covers, it covers for good and it covers right. David repented of his sin. and God had mercy on his life. Brothers and sisters, you don't ever have to feel guilty because of the past. If you've come to Jesus in repentance of sin, you don't ever, ever have to let the enemy come along and make you think that somehow you've got to earn your salvation. You've got to be better than what you were. You've got to try to be good and be good for goodness sake because you, know, you never know when God's going to just... Get mad. No, no, no. Listen, the mercy of God is so great. His love endures forever. He is a wonderful Savior, a merciful Savior. And even in the midst of David's iniquity, David repented of his sin, and God said, I'm going to see this plan through. Now, we get to David's legacy. David left a legacy, one that went all the way down through the kings of Israel, in fact, when you're the kings of Judah, I should say, once it was divided, it became known as the nation of Judah, which was comprised of just two small tribes, Judah and, Jeru- or, uh, Judah and, and Benjamin, two of the southern tribes it's known as the southern kingdom. But David left a legacy. Turn over to 1 Kings chapter 15, and we're going to see this is long after David is gone, long after David has died. And we, we find that it is much the same way that Jeroboam left a legacy for bad. David leaves a legacy for good. He leaves a legacy whereby every king that came after him was measured by him. In fact, you will often see, and we're going to read about the good guys but even the bad guys, it will say about them, many of them, it will say that they did not walk in the ways of his father David. Even though father, he's talking about ancestor. He did not walk in the ways of his father David. We're gonna read about four kings very briefly and quickly. First Kings chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became king of Judah, and he reigned in Jerusalem 41 years. His grandmother's name was Mechah, daughter of Abishalam. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. Now, here we see when it talks about father, it's really referring to ancestor because David had long, been long gone at this point. The same way that his ancestor David had done, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. I want you to see that because it is very important for us to understand the legacy that David left behind was a legacy of righteousness. It was something that they would live up to or could live up to. And the Bible lets us know about Asa, that Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. David had left a great and righteous legacy. And brothers and sisters, we have to be very, very careful about what kind of legacy we are leaving. Because there ain't anybody in this room who is going to live... Physically, at least, forever. We're either going to go by way of the grave, or if Jesus comes back, then we'll go see Jesus. But if, if Jesus waits and doesn't come back soon, somewhere along the way, it's going to be your funeral. What kind of legacy are you leaving for those who will come after you? What kind of legacy are you going to leave them that they will begin to be able to see that that is the way that I need to walk? That's the way that I need to go. Turn over now to 2nd Chronicles. 2nd Chronicles chapter 17. 2nd Chronicles chapter 17. The Bible says this. Chapter 17 verses 3 and 4. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because in his early years He walked in the ways his father David had followed. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. Israel at that moment was now the northern kingdom. Ten tribes of Israel, the northern kingdom. He didn't follow their practices, but the Bible says he followed the way of his father David. He followed in all of his ways. David had left an enduring legacy of righteousness. And brothers and sisters, you and I must, Take care of what it is that we're allowing into our hearts, into our minds, how it is that we're living. Whether or not, look, if we're living sloppy lives, then there's going to be a sloppy legacy. If we're living lives that are displeasing to the Lord, and somehow we think that we're okay because we show up at church, listen, we're leaving a sloppy legacy. We've got to leave a legacy of righteousness. Two more kings, real quickly, let me just show you the legacy that David left, 2 Chronicles 29, verses 1 and 2. 2 Chronicles 29, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says this. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Just as his father David had done. Now, let's go over to chapter 34. Chapter 34, I want you to see the final king, just for a moment. Chapter 34 of the same book, 2 Chronicles, chapter 34, verses 1 to 4. And this king lived right before the Babylonian captivity. And yet, the amazing thing about this king is he was just a boy when he became king. He was eight years old when he became king. Josiah, verses 1-4, to Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem... 31 years. I think he reigned a long time. He didn't live very long, but he reigned a long time. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, that is now 8 plus 8, 16. He's 16 years old. While he was still young, the Bible says he began to seek the God of his father David. Now, he had, had there had been previous kings who had come along, and they didn't follow the Lord. They didn't serve the Lord. Somewhere along the way, this boy heard about the kind of God that his father or ancestor David had served. And the Bible says that he began to seek the God of his father David in the 12th year of his reign. Now he's 20 years old. He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem, of high places, Asherah carved idols, cast images, all of those things were against God. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles, the idols and the images. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Here it is, this young king. He's eight years old when he becomes king. 16 years old now, he's seeking after God. He's just praying. It seems like for the next four years, this guy does nothing but seek after God. And then finally, God says, all right, now here are the changes I want you to make. And Josiah begins to restore the temple. The one last restoration begins to clean it out because it's just been mayhem. It's been a mess. Kings have put put idols in there. They've built other altars, and they've just brought together this weird cultic mesh of of religious worship that had nothing to do with God, the one true God. And Josiah begins to clean it all out. One day, the Bible says they discovered the book of the law, which apparently had been lost. Nobody knew what to do. They didn't know how to live right because they didn't have the Word. And all of a sudden, they begin to read the law in the presence of the king. And the Bible says the king begins to weep. He begins to... He's going to cry out to the Lord, realizing the great sins of Israel. And a little bit later on in his legacy, we see this, that though the judgment of God was still going to come on, on the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah, the prophetess that he had gone to to hear about it said, listen, it's going to still happen, but because your heart was tender, because you were sensitive to the Lord, you are not going to have to see it take place. Because you followed God. Brothers and sisters, when it all comes down to it, we're accountable for us. We are accountable for the legacy that we're going to leave. You might say, well, you don't know the background that I came from. You don't know the troubles that I've had in my life, and those things have affected me. But i got to tell you, listen, Josiah didn't, didn't grow up in a day and age where everybody around him was singing praises to God. No, there was a legacy of righteousness that had been upheld and other kings had followed and Josiah somehow heard about it and he began to seek after God with all of his heart and say, God, I want to serve you, I want to live for you. Brothers and sisters, we have to leave the kind of legacy that David left. And I got to tell you, in spite of sin, the legacy was still great. You say, but sin messes it all up. Oh yes, sin can get in, and it can do it can do some really bad things. And if sin goes unrepented, and you just decide that you're not gonna you're not gonna follow after God, then I gotta tell you, the destiny and the and the the legacy will be that of Jeroboam. But if like David, you will say, whatever fault, whatever sin I have, Lord, i have got to bring it to you in repentance. i got to tell you that God is a merciful God. He is a loving God. And he will most definitely pick you up and he will cover your sins and he will help you to have a legacy of righteousness. None of these guys had any kind of like David didn't have a legacy of perfection. There is nobody in scripture other than Christ who was perfect. Nobody left a legacy of perfection. Only Jesus. But David left a legacy of righteousness. What are you known for? In your life, what are you known for? People look at you and say, well, hard worker. Well, that's good. We need to be hard workers. No doubt about it. Very in- intellectual. Well, that's good too. Not a bad thing. Very intelligent. Wonderful. But can it be said of you, can it be said of me, that he who is a man or a woman, after God's own heart? Above all else, listen, be the hard worker, be the intellectual, be whatever it is that, that you, you feel comfortable in, whatever, it is, whatever lot you have in life. Maybe you're a person who knows how to, to do things with your hands and fix things and, 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 and make things. That's wonderful. But Are you a man or a woman after God's own heart? Are you somebody that people will look at and say, now that is a man or a woman that I believe God has His hand upon? Brothers and sisters, I don't want to leave the kind of legacy that says, well, you know, you're just sort of a half-hearted dude. Just sort of a guy who just, you know, shrugged at life. No, no, no. But I want to leave the kind of legacy that David left. That somebody would say about me that they walked in the ways of their father. That they would walk in. I, I've got a, I've got a, I had a, a wonderful father. And I want to walk in the ways of my dad. My dad wasn't perfect, but he loved the Lord. He was a great pastor, man of God but in the end, it's not even about the human level. It is about always that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, that we look at Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And listen, when you keep your eyes fixed on him, you will leave a godly legacy. When you keep your heart right with him, listen, whatever people might say, whatever it is, whatever sins you've committed in the past and things that you've done, I know people will remember that kind of stuff until you're long gone and after you're gone. But you know what? In the end, it is. Is have you followed God with all your heart? Have you gone after him with everything that is within you? Can we bow our heads today?